It's the Early Access Podcast, episode 60, November 2nd, 2021. It's not October anymore. Find us on Spotify and iTunes. It's just Nikki here. Kuehler has been lost into the void. Hopefully she didn't get hurt or go missing on Halloween, and I was the first person to check up on her this week. But that's okay, because we'll continue on rolling the show anyway. That just means I'll have to do a lot less editing. Actually, one of the hardest things of doing the show, now that Kuehler lives in France and I'm still here in California is the absolute ridiculous delay that there is over Discord when we're talking to each other because it's literally something like 300, 400 milliseconds. Imagine trying to talk to someone and not being able to pick up on any facial cues and everything you say and everything they say is delayed by nearly half a second. That's me when I have to sit down and edit this podcast literally every week to take out all the ums and ahs and make sure that we're not talking over each other. So I luckily won't have to do that as much this week. We had a couple things to talk about, including what I did for Halloween. Uh, Harry Potter is closing. The uh, not Harry Potter, like we didn't fully cancel uh, the author. The actual game made by Niantic is shutting down, and we're gonna talk about some some fun cryptocurrency stuff. Uh, Facebook and the big Meta announcement, and some Twitch news. But first off, I want to talk about a little bit what I did for Halloween. I went out uh, on I think Halloween was on Sunday to a wee bar. Now, Kuehler has been with me to this event before, but I think this is the first one that they held after the pandemic. And this is by far the most irresponsible thing I've done. There probably weren't even a hundred people and it wasn't crowded by any means. It wasn't shoulder to shoulder or anything like that. Uh, But it was by far the most dangerous thing I've done since before the pandemic, as far as just human contact, because as far as masks go, it it's just really not possible to enforce in a bar, right? It's kind of like the airline rule where you have to be wearing a mask while seated um, and not eating or drinking. But you're pretty much drinking at all times. The second I got there, I went straight up to the bar and just chugged just chugged a drink. The drinks were all named after Evolution, so I was drinking Vaporeons all night. So I just asked the bartender. I slammed my cash on the desk. Well, I'm not, I'm not super disrespectful. I, I waited my turn. But uh, I slammed my card to open my tab on the on the bar, and I'm like, one Vaporeon, please, which was a very weird sentence to say. And I went as Gong-Yo, I think his name is. He was a guy in Squid Game who, in the very first episode, we're going to get into mild Squid Game spoilers. In the very first episode, he played Dakji with the protagonist, whose name I don't remember. It starts with an S. But uh, it's the game where there's folded paper, and... You guys take turns slamming the paper down on top of each other's. Uh, one's on the floor. One person's holding it. You slam it on the floor and you try to flip it over. It's that game that was shown off in the first episode. And I got, over the course of three days, insanely good at this game. I mean, not insanely good in that I was as good as the actor in the show who could do it literally every single time. I probably had a 7 out of 10 accuracy. If I were to do it 10 times, I could flip it over 7 times. Uh, and I put in a lot of practice. I actually slapped the shit out of this dude. And I, I wasn't going around trying to slap people. I was very aware that I might end up doing it at some point in the night. But one of the first people I played while I was still relatively sober, I just shotgun one Vaporeon. Uh, dude asked me to play. And in one go, I flipped his Dokji over. Uh, and I just, I just railed this guy right in the cheek. Uh, he caught one. Dude gave me a hug afterwards. He, he asked for it too. I wasn't uh, I wasn't offering slaps, but they were provided if requested, is what I was trying to say. The The costume was very 
it's very normal. I, I you really couldn't tell who I was until I pulled out the dakji, the folded origami, which I actually learned how to make. It. I don't know if it's actually origami because origami is Japanese. Anyway, it's folded paper. I feel like I, I just looked like a well-dressed man in a bar full of weebs, which feels very out of place. I As soon as you take the dakji out, it makes more sense as to what the, the costume is in context. And there are people who came up to me asking to take pictures, which I guess it, it, it's kind of weird because I... I'm very far removed from 2016, like 2015, when I was a very like important Twitch streamer, like signing autographs and taking pictures from with people. Um, but this time, they didn't even know I was Nikki from Stell Shampoo. They just saw a dude wearing a suit. It's not like I was wearing anything really cool. Um, I did get it tailored and and fitted, and I got one that fit like really well and that was as accurate to the show as possible. But that was a thing that happened. I made really good friends with the security guard. And I don't know how in the world he would be listening to the Earl Access podcast, but security guard, if you were at that bar last night, of course he would remember me. But because it's a weed bar, unsurprising to anyone, I stepped out quite a few times to get some fresh air because it smells like fucking weeaboos in there. Uh, there's It's a thick, nerdy, kind of virgin scent. And so I'd step outside to the street to get some fresh air every now and then. And I, I was talking to the security guard quite a bit. Super cool guy. Mm, admittedly, hypothetically, not that good at his job. And so I was hanging out with him at the front. Uh, be, he was the first person I played Doc G with, actually, as I went in. Uh, obviously, the security guy is the first person you see as you go in, and I asked him to play. And I also, I also beat him in one shot. As the night went on, my accuracy decreased significantly. But uh, I played with him, I was out talking with him, and he sent me out, hypothetically just in case it's ever used in court. He sent me out on a side quest. And at this point, I'm like four drinks in and I'm not eating any snacks. So I'm, I'm pretty fucked up. I certainly couldn't drive um, or like sing the alphabet backwards at this point. But he sends me on this side quest. He gives me five bucks and he tells me to go down the street. It's literally down the street, just a block. And he asked me to pick him up a beer. And this was a monumentally more difficult task than it needed to be based on my sobriety. Because right now, easily, easily I walk down the street, get a beer, come back, no problem. I, I I had to be very concentrated as to whether or not the street crossing sign was uh, was telling me to walk or not. I had to make sure I didn't trip over my shoes, but we got it done. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, at the end of the night. Security guard guy wasn't there anymore. The owner was kind of a jerk. Because the uh, the security guard was trying to wingman for me. And the owner didn't kick me out of the bar. He kicked me in the bar. Because I'm, I'm hanging out with the security guard talking to some people. And the owner comes out and is like, no, no, no you, you can't be like, you can't be hanging out here. You need to be standing at your post at the door. To be fair, he was near the door. And there was no way to get past him because of the way the, the stanchions and the line was formed. He was just not standing directly at the door. Owner came out and was like, you got to be standing right at the front of the door and you get inside. He literally ki he kicked me into the bar. Um, but other than that, it was a lot of fun. I didn't throw up, uh, got hydrated. It's all good. That's what I did for Halloween is I went to a weed bar and I spent $400 on a nice tailored suit that I wore that one time and, and uh, will probably wear again. I found the exact suitcase that the guy uses in Squid Game to hold his dakji. And I ordered it and it didn't come in in time and it's still downstairs in an Amazon box on the floor, unopened. But I found literally on Amazon the exact same suitcase that I'm sure the prop designer also bought off Amazon and just uh, 
carve some foam into to keep the to keep the money. I for, I already forgot what the South Korean currency is called. This is why we need Cooler because we need some things checked for me uh, as I speak. But anyway, that's what I did for Halloween. It was pretty sick. Um, let's get into some gaming news. Harry Potter, the Harry Potter Wizards Unite uh, app is shutting down. Now I am no stranger to app shutting down and the things being unsuccessful and for servers. Uh, to be going offline. If anything, I think this is really a commentary uh, on how digital games work. I, I feel bad for anyone who was playing Harry Potter Wizards Unite super religiously and is going to be losing everything that they worked for. Just kind of a reminder that you're not entitled to anything that you actually own in the digital realm. Like the companies who control that stuff can at any point in time, if they want to, just take it away. And so I imagine Harry Potter was Unite not popular at all. Meanwhile, Pokemon Go, uh, Niantic made both of these games supremely popular. They're holding digital Go Fest. There's in-game events. There's integrations with new Pokemon that are coming out all the time. And so Pokemon Go and Harry Potter Wizards Unite, I played Pokemon Go so much. I have over 50 million XP in Pokemon Go. I actually haven't been on for like two or three months, the longest period of time I have not touched the game. Um, they, they, they were pretty much as far as features went, as far as I could tell, pretty equivalent. They used the same pokey stops or wizard stops. I don't know what they were called in Harry Potter Wizards Unite, but uh, effectively the gameplay was the same. It's just the license and the brand of Pokemon being literally the largest IP to have ever existed in the history of humanity. That IP is, is so much more powerful. And despite them being literally the same game, Pokemon Go is going to be continuing on, and Harry Potter is not. I don't remember what year Harry Potter came out, but I know Pokemon Go came out in 2016. It came out much, much uh, earlier than Harry Potter Wizards Unite did. And just the the global world peace that occurred when Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Go was first released on the App Store. I remember the servers going down, everyone having a hard time logging in. But there was a solid couple weeks when Pokemon Go first came out, when people were were truly working together. Uh, I remember going out to this park and there was a Dratini nest at that park and every 15 minutes or so a Dratini would spawn. So there were maybe like two or three picnic tables that a hundred people would chill out at pre-COVID, which is mind-blowing to me now. And we would wait for someone to notice one of the Dratini spawned and then as a horde, as a coordinated group of people, we would move across the park to one Dratini from those tables, then all the way across like two baseball fields to another Dratini, and then back to that bench. And throughout the day, of course, the crowd got bigger, kind of like 5, 6 p.m. as people got off work, and then smaller around like 8 p.m., but that crowd was there all day, every day, catching Dratinis until I think the nests rotated and Dratinis didn't spawn there anymore. And that was... Uh, a, a showing of true human unity that I have not seen to this day. And when Harry Potter Wizards Unite came out, I don't remember anything like that happening. I remember downloading the game just because I wanted to get the Stealth Shampoo name. And then I got to like level five or whatever where you get to pick your name and kind of just never played the app again because in a way, I feel like they're, they're always competing. I talk very often on this show about how Game developers are always competing for daily active users and upping their metrics and number of downloads and tracking all this kind of stuff, right? Harry Potter, Wizards Unite, and Pokemon Go must have been uh, at some layer uh, cannibalizing their own player base because it is the 
exact same genre of game made by the exact same company with two different IPs. And I feel like if Pokemon Go were less popular, Harry Potter Wizards Unite may have been more popular for those people who wanted to go out and start walking and stuff. But Pokemon is just so much stronger of a brand than Harry Potter that I don't see how how this game could have ever gotten more popular. Like we can't have lightning strike twice in the same spot. Pokemon Go popping off super hard. Uh, Harry Potter Wizards Unite going down. A little bit more on the hard details. They are shutting it down on January 31st, 2022. Uh, the game will be removed from the app, Google Play, and Galaxy Store. And then after that, if you try to log into the game, if you still have it downloaded, the servers are going to be gone. And of course, this isn't the first time that I've seen this. Uh, just a reminder that we don't own anything these days in the digital age. Like when Battleborn went down, I've talked about before, all of Battleborn is gone. Everything you grinded for, the single player, the campaign, the multiplayer, all of that is gone. Evolve Stage 2, it's all gone. Like, you can't get on and play Evolve Stage 2 with other people. I, I don't even know if you could get four computers with, like, an old build the game together and then do a LAN party or it'd be five computers because it was 4v1. We just don't own any of the stuff that we, we own online, and uh, you should be cognizant of that because the same thing is happening with the Pokemon trading card game. Uh, some of the cards aren't importing over and the Pokemon trading card game online specifically, uh, the way it is digital at any point, they could ban your account and people put real money in their account because when you buy a real life pack of Pokemon cards, you get a code card and that code card gives you a, a similar pack online. And so people spend a lot of money buying real product or just straight up buying the code cards and investing in this online account that at any point can just disappear into the void. So that's what's happening with Harry Potter Wizards Unite. My heart's out, I guess, to everyone who feels sad and impacted negatively by the fact that the servers are shutting down because I've been there before. But I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know a single one of you. I, I couldn't name anyone who I've ever seen playing Harry Potter Wizards Unite over ac actually after the first two weeks that, that it was out. Anyway, let's talk about some, some dumb cryptocurrency news. This is just something that I found on Twitter uh, as a silly story. I, I learned this new derogatory term uh, for people who don't like NFTs and they're called right clickers because if you want to save an image, you right click and save it and NFT people want to make money off of other people's work. Anyway, I'm not super experienced with NFTs, but I'll read this tweet from uh, Coiners Taking L's on Twitter. I'm going to read the original tweet that he's quoting. Man makes a 35 euro... I think that's Euro. This is why we need Cooler, because Cooler's literally in France right now. Man makes 35 Euro recreation of Salt Bay's 1500 Euro gold-coated stake. Salt Bay, whose real name is, I can't even begin to pronounce that because it uses letters I don't even recognize. Salt Bay has garnered a lot of attention since opening a high-priced high steak restaurant in London. In response, TikTok and YouTube star Harrison Webb has filmed his process for recreating the chef's golden tomahawk steak stating that in total, it cost him around 35 euros. I don't know if that's euro or pounds. I'm sorry, I'm a stupid American. 35 versus 1,500. This random guy on Twitter tweets uh, in response to this. This is a great example of the right-clicker mentality. Sure, you can make your own gold-coated steak for 35 GBP, but then you don't have the satisfaction, flex, clout, that comes from having eaten at Salt Bay's restaurant. The value is not in the cost of the steak. He goes on to say, go ahead, make yourself a gold-coated steak at home. Post a picture of it on Instagram. See how much clout it gets you. 
Salt Bay's dish costs 1,500 GBP because people who want to pay 1,500 to show off that they can afford to pay that much. It's all about the flex. So this is, of course, this guy, just an, just an absolute silly take. Uh, I, that's why people pay a lot of money for things. Uh, a very obvious take there. But I want to get into this more on uh, something that I learned when I, I throughout my time in the game industry. Is there's this concept in games called social signaling. And more and more game developers are starting to take advantage of this. Uh, as people realize how powerful it is and how much you can get someone to do something for so little gain, right? Same thing with the stake. How much you can get out of that person, money-wise, for a stake just made by someone, right? It's a social signaling thing. Clout. Clout's all social signaling. Posting something expensive on Instagram or, hey, I'm like, even something as little as like, I met this celebrity that I really like, right? That's a social signaling kind of thing. And so one of the things games do to relate this back to games is small things like, my nuclear calling card in Call of Duty Cold War, right? I got a 30 kill streak, which is a nuclear in Cold War, which is one of the hardest things to do in the game. To kill, to kill, to go on a 30 kill streak in COD with how fast the time to kill is, is particularly difficult, right? And so to award you, they give you this calling card. And so in lobbies and when you kill people, people can see that you have this nuclear calling card. And what does that say to a person? Well, on the most base level, it says that I got a 30 kill streak. On a, on a higher level, what could be derived from that is, oh, I'm a skillful player. And that's kind of what happens when you get a title or a skin like gold, diamond, uh, dark matter, weaponry, and Call of Duty. That's all social signaling stuff. And MMOs, there's different mounts. I remember watching, I forget this guy's name, but I could picture him in my head. So if anyone watching live on twitch.tv slash Del Shampoo knows this guy's name, Asmund, that's him. He was doing a mount challenge in World of Warcraft. And I don't play MMOs or anything like that. But uh, the challenge was he would show off a mount and then everyone in the group would have to, to show off that same mount. And it started off easy, like, okay, everyone's got this and everyone has it, right? Gets a little bit harder, like, okay, you only have this mount if you've completed like this hard as fuck or grindy task. And, and more and more people got eliminated to the point where someone in the group had a mount that he didn't have. And that's, he got mad about that. That's a social signal that, this person has quite frankly wasted more time on World of Warcraft, time or money, and time is money on World of Warcraft than he did. But it's a, it's kind of a prestige thing. It's a like, hey, I have been playing this game for this many hours. I have achieved this, and that's good in a way. In, in some ways, it's important to make the player feel rewarded, um, but it can really take a toll on your mental health if. There's been tons of research on how Instagram is terrible for adolescents' self-view and how they view their body, right? It's all social signaling. I drank this weird-ass protein shake and I ate these berries and now I'm super fit. You should do it too, signaling that person that they should do it too. I got a 30-kill streak. Look how cool I am. And achieving something and, and gaining clout. I need, to, I need to remember that I'm kind of in a glass house when I talk about clout because I literally was a professional Twitch streamer for three years. And what's the whole point of that? To gain viewers, to gain followers, and to uh, show off your importance in your concurrent view count. And, and the money is nice. It's a, it's a little stability that, uh, that I can have. But maybe I use some of that money to buy myself a nice watch. So when I go out, it's like, oh, I can afford this nice watch. And at the end of the day, it's, it can be very materialistic. Actually, I should talk a little bit about TikTok. So I've been releasing some Stell Shampoo TikToks. And 
TikTok, of course, has uh, a way you can DM people. I've made actually a couple friends off of TikTok, but I'm putting out TikToks on uh, Stell Shampoo on TikTok. Monday, Thursday, I've been putting a couple out. A couple of them popped off. Uh, we had that original Richard one that's been doing really well. Uh, I released one where Ryan asked a random teammate that we found if he would suck a dick for $10,000. And that conversation was absolutely hilarious. It took me a ton of time to subtitle. But here's something I realized, and this is another thing that goes into social signaling. On TikTok, I'm not verified. I only have about 1,500 followers. On Twitch, if I hop into someone's Twitch chat, I have the verified purple checkmark partner badge. And people treat me very differently based on just just that little badge that I have on Twitch. Or in real life, the equivalent would be a partner lanyard hanging around my neck. People will actually go up and talk to you, interact with you, like give you the light of day, give you a follow back because you have that little verified partner badge. Whereas on TikTok, he's only got 1,500 followers. He might not be that important. And to be completely fair, I am I'm really not that notable uh, of a creator and I'm not trying to go out and be like, oh yeah, I'm super, like super important. I need to get all these followers and get all this clout. I just noticed the stark contrast in the way I'll get treated versus a way maybe I have a friend who's an affiliate and they're wearing the affiliate badge at TwitchCon uh, gets treated. Now, there is an important kind of filtering process that I think that goes on with people, right? Like having a partner badge kind of pre-filters you into, okay, you kind of know what you're doing. Uh, You've obviously seen some kind of success on the platform. So you've been pre-filtered. Of course, I want to talk to you. And we don't have all this time in the world to talk to literally everyone we come across, right? You only have 24 hours in a day. You've got to dedicate your time X, Y, or Z, right? You can't pick absolutely everything because there's literally not enough hours in the day. So I find it important to still filter people out and make sure that you're really spending your time and effort and energy into people who are important and will, there's a little bit of give and take, right? You can give them something, they can give you something, um, but also it's important to not pass up that person who might have the affiliate badge now, but absolutely explode later on. Uh, as, of course, when they're exploding, when I was doing really well on Twitch, it got hard to tell whether or not people wanted to be my friend because they wanted to be my friend or they wanted to be my friend because they think they can collaborate with me and maybe take a cut of my audience or uh, maybe grow with me. And so it's really important to be able to filter out those different kinds of people and make sure that they're actually your friends because they want to be your friends. Anyway, whole internet's based on clout. It's a currency and just be mindful of the fact that, oh, if someone's just because someone can pay 1500 European dollars for a stake that it's just, it's not that much better than a 65 euro dollar stake, right? It's just as tasty um, but I guess if you really want to flex on, on Instagram and get those likes, then by all means. All right, next up, Oculus Connect or Connect or Facebook Connect. I don't even know what they call it anymore. But Facebook is now rebranding. The entity that is Facebook is now Meta. I think I've seen some confusion on the internet. Facebook.com is still going to be Facebook.com. I think that would really cause a lot of branding and awareness issues if they made it Meta.com. But the company behind Facebook is now going to be called Meta. And this was in a sort of a showing of dedication 
to the fact that Mark Zuckerberg really wants to dedicate Facebook, Oculus, and Meta to building what's called the Metaverse. Now, I hate to be a Silicon Valley tech bro, but anytime I say Metaverse or NFT or crypto or use any of these buzzwords, I feel kind of like a dick. But the concept of Facebook controlling the Metaverse, a little bit concerning. They're going to be hiring, I think we talked about it last week on the podcast, tons of people to help build this out in Europe. And so by changing Facebook and moving to the meta tag, uh, I obviously think they're hoping to get rid of some of that negative stigma that surrounds the Facebook name. Uh, And I really hope that some other competitors come in to the uh, mobile headset space, the wireless headset space that requires no PC to start competing with these guys. Because uh, one of the steps, actually, you very rarely applaud Facebook and meta, but this is a good step. There was a ton of backlash when the Oculus Quest 2 was released. You had to connect your Facebook account to the Quest 2 in order to be able to literally actually use it at all. In fact, I know people who used a fake Facebook account to connect to their Oculus Quest 2. They bought some games and then their Facebook account got banned for being fake and they lost all their games and all that money they spent on it, which... That is just a real pain in the ass. And so Facebook realized that and all the backlash on Twitter uh, got to them. So Meta plans to reverse controversial Facebook account requirement for Oculus headsets. Uh, This is on Road to VR and Mark Zuckerberg talked about it during the Facebook Connect keynote. But if you currently have your Facebook account connected to your Oculus Quest 2, you can also separate them uh, a little bit later on. It's just the whole, uh, so that's a good, that's a step in the right direction. I'm just a a little bit concerned, obviously, with how I don't know how true this is, what I'm about to say, but supposedly biometric data is very valuable to companies like Facebook. So let's say, for example, I'm walking down the street and I see a friend, right? And I wave at them. The way I wave at one of my friends combined with knowing exactly how I walk, uh, combined with knowing my exact height and what my voice sounds like. And all this kind of stuff that can be derived from the position of your controllers and your headset uh, is personal information that Facebook can then pick up. It's your it's your biometric information and then potentially sell to people or use in a really creepy way. There's that story about how like based on people's buying patterns at Target, they can predict whether or not you're pregnant. And Target knew that this woman was pregnant based on her buying programs before she actually knew, which is incredibly creepy. And now if we move into, all right, so not only do they know what you're purchasing, they know what games you're playing and how long you enjoy it, but they know who you're hanging out with in VR chat or wherever Facebook Horizons is going to be in the future. A little bit concerning. And so Mark Zuckerberg has really, really quadrupled down on building out the metaverse. And we'll see if people even adopt to it because I personally am also like not super into social VR. I'm not into social gaming, but I'm, I'm... you would think as a VR person, I would be into social VR, uh, and I'm just not. I would literally rather sit on a Discord call with someone with their webcam on, like, playing a game. Uh, I don't really feel like I, I need to be playing poker, like, if if I were into poker, which I actually was a little bit. But if I were into poker, I would much rather actually be playing on a monitor in front of me with my friends all on a call rather than actually like being in my VR headset and seeing how they move their hands and stuff like that. I just, 
there's a little bit of uncanny valley there in that not even uncanny valley the avatars just don't look like they just don't look that good and right now you can't even get full realistic avatar body tracking without a pc an actual like pc and pc vr powered trackers so i'm just not super interested right now but facebook has so much money and so much power that they can literally will it into being if they want social vr the metaverse people to work play fuck and do whatever they need to in vr if facebook wants people to start doing that and, and mark zuckerberg says he believes that this is the next step in computing they, they have the resources to do it and so we'll see if other people come into the space and try to keep it a little bit more open all right in a piece of twitch news man i sometimes i wish i talked about nicer things on this podcast that people aren't complaining about but i don't so we talked a couple episodes ago about Twitch experimenting with a feature to allow viewers to pay money to boost people's streams. And I actually saw this live. So when I go on Twitch, if I'm watching someone, I either A, see their stream on Twitter and go straight to their stream, or B, I go to my follows tab, I find all my friends, because I'm a good guy, and I open all their streams. Now, don't mute their streams because that actually doesn't give them the view count. Uh, what you gotta do is mute the tab. So in Google Chrome, you can right click and then hit mute site. And you can mute all of Twitch and you can give them that view count. Turn up the volume to max so Twitch thinks you're actually listening and they still get that view count. So those are the two ways I actually consume content on Twitch. One way I do not consume content on Twitch is via the front page. But I went on the front page in the sake of journalism and I saw that someone was promoting a World of Warcraft stream. I don't know anything about World of Warcraft. As you guys know, I literally forgot Asmongold's name just at the top of the show. So I don't watch World of Warcraft. I don't consume MMO content on Twitch. But the one promoted stream that I saw that I think was through the new Twitch boost feature was a World of Warcraft stream. Went in there. Guy has about 200 viewers. Um, I have some Twitch extensions that tells me that it loads the chat from before I arrived and it gives me timestamps. Chat didn't seem particularly active. Dude had about 200 viewers and he was in a nice spot. Uh, there's this rule of web design where you don't want people to scroll to get to the information that they need so if you want people to to click on something or, or read something it needs to be literally a headline it has to be at the top if they have to scroll if they have to literally move their finger to see the information they're significantly less likely to see it so it is visible on a part of the page on the left because in western society we read from left to right it was on the left side of the page. I didn't have to scroll. It wasn't in the super premiere spot where there's like actual paid broadcasts of big events happening like Twitch Rivals, but it was up there on the left and it said promoted. I clicked on it and clicked off because I don't want to watch World of Warcraft and uh, watching MMOs is impossible. Like how the fuck are you ever supposed to know what's going on? At any given time, they're pushing 12 different buttons and I don't know what any of the buttons do and in what order they're supposed to be pushing them in. Anyway, so Twitch... Uh, is now allowing people to boost streams. You have to be in the USA for a max of $500. 99 cents will get you 1,000 boosts. $2.97 will get you 3,000 boosts. And $4.95 will get you 5,000 boosts. And it says if you try to boost, boost purchases are limited to US-based users who can chat in this channel, which is, I guess, good. I don't know how a troll could abuse this, but I guess you could boost a channel that you hate. Now, this is a little bit different than subscribing to someone with an offensive name because that's what people would do to me. Um, I actually, way back in the day, someone got mad at me that I banned them. So they made like 50 other accounts 
to mess with me all called like Nikki sucks, Nikki eats poo and just kept following me on these other accounts. Um, that was literally the time I turned follower notifications off back in like 2014 and I just never turned them back on. Actually to this day, now that I think about it, I don't like it when people thank me for following. Like I just, I just want to follow. I just want to come back and watch. If I'm not talking in the chat, don't talk to me. And I'm generally not talking in the chat, but anyway, paid boost experiment is live. Uh, you'd actually do this now. This, if I were still a professional Twitch streamer and I made my bread and butter off of Twitch, the best way for you to support a streamer, if you, if your goal exclusively is to support the streamer, is to click on their PayPal and send them a tip. Straight up, just send them a tip. They only get half of subs unless they're a, a much bigger partner. And if they're a much bigger partner, they're probably not struggling too hard for money. But uh, subs, they only get half of that. Bits, Twitch takes a cut. Literally, send money to their PayPal. Uh, back in my day, we had this thing called Treat Stream. It was basically Uber Eats for streamers, and it kept their information private. People actually use it a couple times on my channel. But what would happen was I had a local pizza place listed, and they're like, I'm going to buy Nikki a pizza. You'd go on there. You would pay an, a, an exuberant amount because Treat Stream was taking a cut. The driver who's delivering is taking a cut. Uh, obviously, the people paying the food was taking a cut. You think Uber Eats is expensive? Treat Stream. That was expensive. And so I, I get a pizza. It would have been much better if I got donated the pizza money and then just called in to get it delivered myself. Of course, you still have delivery fees. But at, at the end of the day, if you want to support a streamer specifically, and that's your only goal, just send them the money straight up. Um, now, we talked about social signaling earlier in the stream. There is the social signaling aspect of having... A 12-month, 24-month, 36-month. I think on Stell Shampoo, you can get an 80-month long subscription badge. Six years. That'd be 72, I think. You can get a subscription. I, I haven't uploaded it. So by default, I think the highest badge you can get is like 12 or 24 months. Whatever it was when viewer badges first came out is the highest badge you can get on my Twitch channel. I haven't updated it since. And I'm missing multiple years worth of badges. By the way, there is... You do miss out on the social signaling aspect of having a badge or of having a bit icon next to your name, but ultimately, if your goal is to support the streamer, sending them the money allows them to literally see more of that money. So in the same vein, I wouldn't ever pay to boost a stream because what's probably more helpful is I pay this guy's water bill for this month instead of giving him $500. I don't even know it was a $500 water bill, but... Instead of paying $500 for boosts, I give this guy $500 a boost. Maybe he could take a day or two off streaming for either his mental health or work on a YouTube video and then expand his brand on network uh, or his his brand and his network on YouTube or TikTok, give him some time to edit, maybe even pay an editor uh, and get more viewers that way. This is a very direct, but I think not consistent solution if I'm offering advice to a current streamer to grow their channel because there's viewer retention, there's... It doesn't seem like it's promote like if you promoted a Pokemon stream to me, then maybe I would go and put my eyes on it, right? But you promote a World of Warcraft stream to, to me, Nikki specifically, and it's being seen by more people, but is it being seen by the correct audience? You know, if you're trying to sell a house in California and you put up a, a billboard in New York, I mean, maybe someone wants to move from New York to California and then that's a good idea, but that's not an effective method of advertising. Whereas I feel like there are even some game categories and a lot of a lot of people do exist in these smaller game categories. If I wanted to get people in a smaller game category to watch 
my my game. So let's say I was playing Evolve just because I knew Evolve really well. Evolve had before stage two came out about a 200 person audience. Like that's it. That's the market cap. You can't get more people to watch Evolve and actually stay and participate in the community because the game itself isn't that popular. So if you're in a smaller game category that's less recognized on Twitch and you pay to boost your stream, how many people are actually going to be clicking on a game that they don't recognize, right? Now, of course, that'll be a little bit different. If you're a small Valorant streamer, the Valorant audience is so big, you just want a bigger slice of that pie, right? But what if you already have the whole pie? Twitch isn't going to make a new pie exist, a pie being viewers, right? If there are 200 viewers on Evolve at 200 people interested, and then I have 200 viewers, I have the whole pie. You can't make another pie appear, right? Whereas if I'm shooting Valorant and I have a very tiny slice of the pie, maybe you can boost yourself up and get more people. But overall, I don't think this is an effective use of viewers' money. And a lot of backlash popped up on Twitter when they were running this experiment. And it turns out that Twitch decided, you know what? A lot of backlash. A lot of people don't like this pay-to-win, get-viewer kind of thing going on. Send it. And now it's an actual full-fledged feature of the site. So anyway, I guess at the very end of the story, don't boost my stream. Uh, The best thing you can actually do is drop the stream a follow on Spotify or iTunes and a rating and listen to the episodes and check us out on twitch.tv slash shampoo at 4 p.m. PT when I run the show on Tuesdays. All right. Well, that's all I got for this week of the Early Access Podcast. It's been Nick from Stealth Shampoo. Like I said, find us on Spotify and iTunes. And go check out my TikTok, Stealth Shampoo. We're putting out a lot of stuff over there at least two times a week. I'll try to keep it on as long as I can. And check that out. See you some other time.